political world. What a day, what a day. So, I believe you all know what we're about to do. We are about to do a super substantive debate breakdown. I will be looking at this thing like it is the fucking Zapruder film. I'll be um, showing a million clips and um, telling you what the deal is with them. What the deal is, Jack. No, Biden did not call Trump Jack, although he should have. (laughs) He did not call him fat, although he should have done that as well. Um, But there were many moments that um, will live on. So first, I'm going to start with the total 
just the overall takeaways. Um, then I'll get to some numbers. Then I'll get to specific clips. But, you know, buckle up for all this because it is going to be a long one today. It is going to be a long one. There's a lot to say. So, <clears throat> without further ado, let's get started. And here we go. So we had the first general election debate of 2020 last night, and um, there are many, many takeaways. The first point I would make is it was a colossal mess. I think that that's pretty much unanimous. I don't think it matters how much of a, you know, a Trump fanboy or fangirl you are, or even how much of a Biden fanboy or fangirl you are. It was a mess. It was a colossal mess. Um, they were screaming over each other. Trump did a lot more of the screaming over than Biden did. Chris Wallace had zero control of the whole thing. He, he didn't assert himself in a way that uh, was dominant or alpha. It was sort of like meekish interjections, nebbish interjections. I don't know how to talk. Interjections. Um, so the second point I would make, though, is that Trump is behind in every poll, and really, he needed a decisive victory in the debate. And I don't think he got it. I don't think he got it. I don't think he was even close. Uh, the third point is, and this struck me throughout the night over and over, in 2016, Trump had these witty one-liners, and he really displayed humor. And at times, although it's painful to say it because we despise him, but at times, he was charming. So that was 2016. Now, he's not even funny. Like, he's just whining. He's whining nonstop. And he sounds like a Fox News grandpa. When you go back to 2016 and you see the nature of the attacks against Hillary, it was always like, you supported the Iraq War. You represent the status quo. You are the establishment. You're incredibly corrupt. You outsource the jobs. It was like a laundry list of legitimate grievances. And it made Trump sound like a populist outsider. In 2020, it's just like, you know, Biden, you don't support law and order. You're a, a defender of Antifa. Uh, oh, my God, Hunter Biden and all these terrible things he did. And it, you could tell, like, oh, the fraudulent election, the fraudulent election. Like, he just is too much in his right-wing bubble, and he sounds like, you know, a pissed-off grandpa. And it's not the same. The, the Trump magic is no longer there. So what I like to do, I try to view these debates to the extent that I can through the eyes of sort of like an undecided, independent-ish voter, um, and admittedly, it's hard to like kind of strip away my own biases. But one of, the, one of the things I like to do to try to get into that mindset, I like to ask my mom what she thought about the debate. Because my mom is actually an interesting character. And in many ways, she represents like a true sort of middle America type person. She grew up um, in a Republican household. And so for most of her life, she was a Republican. I think that changed in 2008 when she voted for Obama because she looked at McCain and, and Palin, and she was like, I just can't do it. I got to vote for Obama. Um, now, I don't, actually don't remember who she voted for in 2012. I think she voted for Obama, but I could be wrong, because Mitt Romney is like the kind of Republican in terms of how he portrays himself that would kind of, you know, 
get somebody like her to vote for him. So I don't know. I know in 2008 she voted for Obama. 2012, I'm not sure. Uh, 2016, she didn't vote because she looked at Hillary and she looked at Trump, and she's like, I can't do it. I think they're both terrible. Um, so I actually, like, I, I put a lot of stock in what her feelings on, on this kind of stuff is. Um, and so she said, first and foremost, what we led with, which is it was just a total mess. You could barely even call the debate. It, it was a joke. That was the first thing. But the second thing was she sort of went into the debate leaning in favor of voting Biden. And she came out of it going, oh, I'm definitely going to vote for Biden. Because she views Trump as just this, this petulant child. She said he was extra Trumpian last night. He was interrupting nonstop. And there is some segment of the population, my mom being among them, that actually cares about like the, the decorum and the civility and the politeness and the professional presentation of it all. Like, she thinks it's embarrassing that we have the leader of the U.S. is basically like a toddler throwing a tantrum. And that's something that affects her. Whereas somebody like me, where I don't care about, like, the politeness level or whatever, or if they're playing the game and BSing and being professional, I don't care about that stuff. In fact, I prefer having no filter. But what was interesting is that Trump was annoying me, and I'm somebody who prefers, like, a no filter shoot from the hip style. And he was even annoying me. So imagine how much he annoys somebody who values even a little bit the whole, like, professional angle of politics. And so she went into it leaning Biden. She went out going, oh, I'm definitely going to vote for Biden. She said, I think he held his own, even though he's getting interrupted every five seconds. And the other point she made, though, and I think this is true, and it's astute, is that the Trump people are always, I mean, the Trump people are always going to be like, yeah, Trump won. Like, they're going to think it was brilliant, it was amazing, he, he beat up on the fake news moderator and beat up on Biden. But that's an ever-shrinking segment of the population, and you can't win an election with 35% guaranteed. You know what I mean? So I, I do think that my personal takeaway is Biden did win. I don't think it was like a, a crushing Biden victory. I don't. I don't think he was that coherent. He was stumbling over his words in typical Biden fashion. Um, but I do think Biden won by like a little bit. And given the fact that Trump really needed to have a decisive victory going into this, I'm almost ready to pound the gavel on this election because he's Biden has been up the entire time and Trump is not closing the gap like he was with Hillary at this point in 2016. There were, you know, somebody did the comparison for September. Hillary was only up on Trump two points in September in 2016. Biden's up on Trump 10 points. It might be time to pound the gavel, dude. I'm saying it's an 80% chance as of this moment that Biden wins the election. But admittedly, it's going to be a mess because who knows what's going to happen if Trump is going to try to refuse to leave or whatever. But uh, let me give you some more of the actual polling data because I think this is important. Um, so the CBS poll, get this, I love this fact, 69% nice, uh, who were watching this were annoyed by it. 69% who watched the debate were annoyed by it. They were like, this is obnoxious. Um, there's a group of 17% that felt, and I quote, informed. And I would like to know who the hell they are because we need to lock them up. Um, CBS again, 48% say Biden won, 41% say Trump won. 
this is actually the best poll for Trump because you could argue just like people were totally unmoved going into it because that's about what the national polls are. Um, now, here's an interesting fact. Biden surged in the betting market to 58%. So I think this is an indication that people were kind of waiting to see, okay, if he can't string together a coherent sentence and he shits himself on stage, Trump is going to win. He didn't shit himself on stage and he had coherent sentences. So, you know, it kind of was like a low bar for Biden going into it, right? Everybody expected Trump to win. At least everybody I saw. And that's not exactly what happened. Um, CNN, 60% say Biden won, 28% say Trump won. Data for progress, 51% say Biden won, 39% say Trump won, 10% unsure. Um, here's another important one. More likely to vote for Biden after the debate, 32%. More likely to vote for Trump after the debate, 11%. Now, the, the asterisks and the caveat at the end of this discussion is, Pretty straightforward. All of like the snap polls after the first debate in 2016 showed Hillary winning. And in fact, Hillary had an even bigger margin of victory against Trump in the snap polls than Biden has against Trump in the snap polls. So it's very, you know, you can certainly walk away from this saying, what's the methodology in the polling? Like, are you talking to all Americans? Because then that is going to be skewed more pro-Biden, but that doesn't necessarily affect the election. Are you talking all registered voters? Because, again, that will skew Biden, but not necessarily be what the election is going to be like. They should be talking to only likely voters. Likely voters. Um, But I don't know if they did. And I I reckon it would be a little tighter once you get to that group. Oh, and I don't know if I told you this, this number, but this is actually maybe the biggest takeaway. There was a CNN focus group, and after the debate, about 90% of the people said nobody won. Nobody won. Presumably because they look like petulant children who were yelling at each other the entire time. So, um, you know, what Corin said to me was interesting. Corin said, like, what did you expect? Did you not expect it to be like a complete and utter mess? Because obviously it was going to be a complete and utter mess. He has a point, you know, I guess what I would say is I didn't necessarily expect the, just the endless stream of interruptions. Like, I expected it to be a mess, but I expected it to be civil enough where people could get sentences out. Like, for Christ's sake, I debated Charlie Kirk, and him and I were letting each other finish sentences, but the two people who were trying to be the leaders of the, leader of the free world can't do that. It just, it, it is a little mind-boggling, but anyway... That's our first debate. A common sentiment that I'm hearing from people is, I'm definitely not watching the second one. I've now heard that multiple times, <laughs> that I'm, I'm, there's no way I'm watching the second one. Well, that's why I'm here. <laughs> I'm going to watch it for you, clip out the important parts, and tell you what's going on. So, you know, i got to be good for something, right? Okay. Next. Oh, you know what? Let me pull up a picture of one Joseph Rogan for this. Pulling up a picture of Joe Rogan. Pulling up a picture of Joe Rogan.
Okay. So the debate was a colossal mess. Trump and Biden um, came across like petulant children. Trump would not stop interrupting. The opinion is pretty much unanimous to everybody I talk to. Granted, it's anecdotal, but people were like, you could barely call that a debate. It was a joke. Now, a lot of criticism is going at Chris Wallace because Chris Wallace, Fox News, Um, was just unable to get a handle on the situation. He was unable to rein them in. He was unable to be a leader and assert himself. He was very meek and nebbish in trying to control them, and they just steamrolled him, basically. Trump definitely steamrolled him. Um, So now people in the aftermath are saying, okay, we got to find a way to improve these things because this was a joke. The number one idea that I'm seeing floated, and it's interesting that this is what people default to, but they want the moderator to have the ability to cut the mics of the people speaking. That's what people are presenting as a solution. Like, okay, if you go over time and you're clearly being rude and not you know, letting somebody else get a word in when it's their turn to speak, we'll just cut your mic and then everybody will hear the other person and not you. So again, this is what people are floating as a solution. Now, what's my opinion on it? Listen. I think my feelings on this have changed over time where I'm now of the belief that you barely need a moderator, dude. Like it, to the extent you're going to have a moderator, it should be super restricted and limited because nobody's there to hear Chris Wallace. Everybody's there to hear Trump or Biden. So I'm almost of the opinion that, you know, you can say taxes go and then they could talk for an hour on that alone. Are you kidding me? Now, granted, they're both going to BS, but that's like a problem with Trump and Biden as people, not necessarily a problem with the system that we've set up or the debate format. It's just like they're going to lie because they're liars. How do you handle that? Listen, in a world that made sense, yes, you could have somebody to fact check them right there. But it's not like when somebody gets fact checked that everybody watching immediately goes, that is correct. Now that person has been fact checked and I am logging the correct information in my brain. We live in such a stupid and partisan time that people will get mad at the fact checker. <laughs> like that's, that's where we're at. So let's just acknowledge reality and either s- strictly limit the role of the moderator um, or have no moderator and just be like, guns, go. Climate change, go. Taxes, go. Iraq war, go. Because, again, they, they don't need help. Like Trump and Biden do not need help speaking. They can go back and forth for hours and hours and hours. Of course they can. Duh. Duh. And and listen, maybe my perspective is skewed a little bit because I've been on this side of the equation. Like, I've been the one debating. And my feeling always was like, we don't need you here, Mr. Moderator. Like, we're good. We're good. Whether it was, you know, me and and Scotty Nell Hughes or, or me and Charlie Kirk or me and Tommy Lauren when we were on that panel, whoever. It's like, We don't need somebody to interject and be like, well, here's another thing. How about you? Shut the fuck up, because we're good here. We got plenty to say, both of us. So anyway, that's more of where I'm inclined to go. If you give them the ability to cut the mics, what's going to happen inevitably is you and I are not always going to trust the judgment of the moderator, and they're going to cut off people sometimes when they're not being rude and when they're making a perfectly legitimate point. I could easily see a situation where it's Trump versus Bernie, and Bernie schooling Trump, and they go, oh, your time's up, and they cut it off mid-own. 
when Bernie's laying the smack down on Trump. I could easily see that. So I don't trust the moderators to make these decisions effectively. Get the moderators out. Or, or, there's a new poll that just came out. You might be wondering why Joe Rogan's over my shoulder. 69% nice. (laughs) 69% of the country. 69%. Want to watch presidential debate moderated by Joe Rogan. Only 31% don't want to see it. Now, I haven't seen polling on other figures. Like, nobody asks about other people. Like, hey, what about if this person hosted? So there's nothing to compare this to. But my suspicion is more people want to see Joe Rogan host a debate than anybody else. And the reason is, for people who know who Joe Rogan is, and that's most of the country at this point, um, the way his podcast works is it's just let's talk. Let's have a conversation. Let's be as much like normal people as humanly possible. And so it is a wildly, wildly popular show as a result of that. And, yeah, I think that format is much better. I don't think it's perfect. I don't. But I think it's significantly better than what we have now, unless anybody bring up the idea like, oh, but Joe Rogan has said controversial things and he's been offensive. A lot of the people who are going to host the debates and moderate the debates We're in favor of an illegal war and help do propaganda to get us into it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it about how he said this thing or that thing or this offensive joke or that offensive thing or he believes X or Y or Z. I don't care. I don't care. The people who are moderating the debates right now are way worse than Joe Rogan has ever been and have done way more damage than Joe Rogan will ever do. So, and I don't care about credentialism either. Who is he? Who gives a fuck? This, like, elitist idea of, like, let's have a rigid hierarchy as to who gets the honor to be on stage with these two dying morons. (laughs) Who cares? He's incredibly popular. He's good at these conversations. I think he would get them to maybe open up in a way that others wouldn't. Is there a criticism that maybe he wouldn't be aggressive enough? Yeah, I think that's a fair criticism, but that does kind of contradict what I was saying before about how we need, like, no moderator at all. So, I don't know, I think it would be better than what we're doing now, and clearly the American people agree. But of course, my guess is this will never happen. Even though Trump's okay with it, I don't think Biden would agree to it. And beyond that, the way the debates work is a scam. Just so everybody knows, the people who host it, it's like the Democratic and Republican parties, they come together and they just like keep out the Libertarians and the Greens and any other third parties. And this is the case because it used to be the League of Women Voters who hosted the debates, And when they did, they allowed in a guy by the name of Ross Perot. Now, Ross Perot was running as an independent, and Ross Perot ended up winning 9% of the popular vote, which is colossally high. To put that in perspective, Green Party last time won 1%, Libertarians won like 3%. He won 9% of the popular vote, and some argued that's why Clinton won, because Perot took those votes more from H.W. Bush. And so ever since then, the Democrats and Republicans came together and they said, listen, If we exclude the independents, the greens, the libertarians, well, that makes it so that it's one of us guaranteed to win. And this time it may have hurt the Republicans, but you could easily imagine a situation where a left-wing independent comes in and takes votes from the Democrats. Let's shut everybody out and make this less of a democracy so we can have a stranglehold. That's what happened. And we're still feeling the effects of that today with these terrible debates. So you never get an interesting, cool, unique, new idea like Joe Rogan hosting a debate. So... 
Anyway, the debate was a total mess. I like the idea of Rogan hosting it. It's not perfect, but it's better than the alternatives. Um, could you imagine if I got to host a debate? I mean, I would totally, again, I'm completely contradicting the thing I said earlier about how it's better to have, like, no moderator at all than a moderator who's very involved. But, yeah, I mean, the questions I would ask would, ask would be so substantive that there's no way around it but to address the substance. Like, that's when you know you're asking good questions, is when it's so policy-oriented and so substantive that they have to address it. And if they dodge it, the dodge will be so obvious that anybody and everybody will realize it's a dodge. But anyway, uh, I'm just dreaming now. That's obviously not going to happen. Probably not even going to happen with Joe, but it would be nice if it did. Okay. Now. Now, let's get into the specifics. Specific time, specific time, specific time, specific time. Sit back, relax, take it easy, sip some lemonade. I am going to dissect the Trump versus Biden debate, the first debate, like it's the Zapruder film. So there's a lot of clips. I watched it live, live tweeted it, then watched it again after and spliced up the clips that I knew I wanted to show you and talk about. There's a lot of them, okay? So, first and foremost, healthcare. This happened pretty early on in the debate. And what you're going to see here is the exact dynamic that lefties were terrified of. And in fact, I have to give massive credit to one of the greatest Twitter accounts, Internet Hippo, who called this months ago, where, you know, pretty viral tweet, where they said in the debate, Trump is going to accuse Biden of wanting to do a bunch of cool shit like the Green New Deal and Medicare for All. And Biden's going to be like, no, I don't want to do any of that stuff. <laughs> you want to give people health care, don't you, Joe? No, I don't want to give a single person health care. Like, that's, that was the joke tweet. But it's also totally true, and we watched it unfold. The bigger problem that you have is that you're going to extinguish 180 million people with their private health care, that they're very That's happy simply with. not true. Well, you're simply no, going that, to socialists. You're has, going to socialists. We're now into, gentlemen, we're now into open discussion. Open discussion. Open discussion. Yes, I agree. Go ahead, Vice President. Number one, uh, he, he knows that uh, what I proposed. What I proposed is that uh, we expand Obamacare and we increase it. We do not wipe any. And one of the big debates we had with 23 of my colleagues trying to win the nomination that I won were saying that Biden wanted to allow people to have private insurance. To they can. They do. They will under my proposal. Not what you've said, but and it's not what your party is, has said. That is simply Your party doesn't say it. Your party wants to go socialist medicine. My party is and me. Socialist right healthcare. now, I am and the And they're going to dominate party. you, Joe. You know that. I am the Democratic Party right now. The platform of the Democratic Party Harris. is what I, in fact, approved of. What I approved of. Now, here's the deal. The deal is that it's going to wipe out pre-existing conditions. And by the way, the 20, the 200 million, the 200,000 people that have died on his watch, how many of those have survived? Well, there are 7 million people that contracted COVID. What does it mean for them going forward if you strike down the Affordable Care Act? points out that you would like to add a public option to Obamacare, and yes. the argument that he makes and other Republicans make is that that is going to end private insurance. It is and well, 
sorry, <laughs> the question. It will that end. Party says, by the way. It will end private insurance and create a government takeover of health care. It does it's not. It's only for those people who are so poor they qualify for Medicaid. They can get that free in most states, except governors who want to deny people who are poor Medicaid. Anyone who qualifies for Medicare would, excuse me, Medicaid would automatically be enrolled in the public option. The vast majority of the American people would still not be in that option, number one. Joe, so you agree with Bernie number Sanders I, I far guess. left on the manifesto, well, we call it. Well, manifesto. That gives you socialized medicine. Look, hey, are uh, you saying you didn't agree? No. The fact of the matter is I beat Bernie Sanders. Not by I'm, much. I beat him a whole hell of a lot. I'm here, I'm I'm here standing facing you all, buddy. would have left uh, two days earlier. You would have lost every primary. All he knows how to do for Tuesday. You got Look, very lucky. here's the deal. I got very lucky. I'm going to get very lucky tonight as well. And tonight I'm going to make sure because here's the deal. Here's the deal. The fact is that everything he's saying so far is simply a lie. I'm not here to call out his lies. Everybody knows he's a liar. But you I just agree. want to make sure. No, I, 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 I want to make sure. You ordered last in your class. I, first in your I, class. <laughs> I want to make Mr. sure. Mr. President, can you let him finish, sir? Well, he doesn't know how to do that. He has, you know, you, you picked the wrong ahead. guy, the wrong oh, night oh. at the wrong time. Listen, you agreed with Here's Bernie the Sanders that the, the, the whole idea, let, let, let him there is no manifesto, number Please one. Please let him speak, Mr. President. Number two. You just lost the left. Number two. I, I, you just lost the left. You agreed with Bernie Sanders on a plan. How, folks, absolutely folks do you have any idea what this clown's doing? Mr. you have any Socialized medicine. Mr. President. I'll tell you what. He is not for any help for people needing health care because, because he, in fact, already has cost 10 million people their health care that they had from their employers because of his recession. So that was, that was incredible. That whole back and forth was incredible. So, first of all, the accusation from Trump is, and again, this is framed as like, isn't this so negative? Like, you want socialist medicine. You want socialized medicine. You want a government takeover of health care. And, of course, Biden's like, no, no, I don't. No, I don't. And Trump's like, well, your party does, and the people who are controlling you do. And he's like, no, I'm, I'm the party right now. I'm the Democratic Party right now. Uh, then they talk about, well, that's going to end private insurance. And Biden's like, no, no, it's not. I really do find this amazing because this is such a great example of what we mean when we say the Overton window has shifted right over the years. The Overton window is the spectrum of debate that's viewed as acceptable and reasonable in Washington, D.C., among elites. And they're having this debate about health care off in la-la land on the right fringe because we have tens of millions of Americans who lost their health care because of COVID and because they lost their job. And so people are hurting out there. Medical bankruptcies is one of the top causes of bankruptcy. We have 45,000 to 60,000 people die every year because they don't have health care. And they're, they're scrambling to defend the structure of the current system. They want to end private insurance. No, I don't. Imagine if we had somebody up there, and this is what Bernie would do. He'd effectively be like, you're damn right. Who loves their private insurance company? Are you kidding me? All they do is get in between you and your doctor. All they do is tell you no. You can't even pick whatever doctor you want. 
because your doctor has to be in network because of your private health insurance company. They're an unnecessary, rapacious, for-profit, mafia-like middleman that just takes their cut between you and your doctor. They're totally useless. The whole point is to price gouge you. That's why they're there. They're parasites. They're leeches. They're moochers. Are you kidding me? And Trump's like, you want to end private insurance? And Biden's response is, no, no, I don't. Well, that's the problem, Joe. That's the problem. Jesus Christ, imagine thinking that people love their private insurance. There's one poll that shows people are ambivalent on this, but then as soon as you tell them, hey, you can keep your doctor, then, they, then all of a sudden Medicare for All shoots way back up in popularity. As of right now, what is this? Nearly 70% of the country now that wants Medicare for All. You want to know why? Because we're in a pandemic and tens of millions of people don't have health care. So the idea that we're not, like both of these candidates should be rushing to the position, I'm going to cover everybody, I'm going to cover everybody, but no, they're running away from it. Uh, really like insanely terrible political instincts from both of these losers, but they're both bought and owned by uh, for-profit health insurance companies. So what do you expect? Corporate America owns both of these two, which is why they're running away from Medicare for all at 1,000 miles an hour. Now, the rest of this stuff is interesting as well. Um, Biden loved to bring it up, rub it in the left's face. I beat Bernie. Trump is correct when he says, not by much. And then Trump also points out, if, if, if Elizabeth Warren dropped out earlier, you wouldn't have won. Really, though, what he should have said is you wouldn't have won if Elizabeth Warren dropped out earlier, but also Obama didn't get Mayor Pete and Amy Klobuchar to drop out and endorse him at the last minute. That would have really changed the nature of the race. If just Elizabeth Warren dropped out, but you still had the Obama jiu-jitsu move, Biden still would have won. You needed both of those things to happen. Elizabeth Warren drop out and Obama not coordinate behind the scenes. Then Bernie would have won. But if it wasn't for that, then he wouldn't have. So he's half right on that, half wrong, though. Um, but here's an interesting point. When Biden, or excuse me, when Trump says to Biden, you just lost the left, because Biden says, there's no manifesto. What are you talking about? Um, talk, they're talking about the Unity Commission. Biden was objecting to Trump's framing of that, calling it a manifesto. That's what he was objecting to. And but Trump was saying, oh, you're denying that there even was a unity commission or a manifesto. Um, and so now you just lost the left. So he's trying to say to him, like, you keep you keep like, you know, shitting on Bernie and running away from the unity commission. You're going to lose the left. That's basically what Trump is saying to Biden. Now, logically speaking, that actually does make sense. What Trump is saying, like the left should be like, oh, okay, so you, you are running away from us, Joe, and that's disgusting, and we don't like that. But funny enough, on what I saw on my timeline, and you guys know I'm deep in lefty circles, so I'm seeing tweets from all sorts of leftists. Everybody was saying the fact that Trump said that actually had the opposite impact, where they were like, well, because you're saying, oh, Biden lost me, now I want to support him even more. <laughs> I mean... That is quite a reaction, isn't it? So it's almost backfiring in Trump's face because he's too heavy-handed with how he's making the point. Um, and listen, I mean, you got to keep it real. The last point there from Biden is spot on. When Biden says he's not for helping people at all. Like, okay, there are a zillion criticisms of Biden that are completely legitimate, and I make them. He's not for Medicare for all. I think he's even waffly on a public option. Um, he, he says in his ideal plan, 97% of the country's covered. What about the other 3%? He, 
there's a bunch of criticisms of Joe Biden. But when Biden says, okay, like, basically, I might suck, but this guy's not for any help at all for people. In fact, tens of millions of people have lost their health care under this guy. He even brings up the number under COVID. He's had about 10 million people under COVID so far. By the way, I've seen wildly different numbers, some as low as 3 or 4 million, some as high as 20 or 30 million. Um, but Biden says 10 million people lost their health insurance under COVID. And you're going to attack me for health care? Because at least with Obamacare, we covered tens of millions of people. It wasn't nearly enough. It still kept the for-profit health insurance companies in control, all that stuff. But at least we covered more people. At least we covered more people. And I plan on covering more people. You? People are hemorrhaging their care right now under you. You own that. You're responsible for that. So ultimately, I would say early on, Trump was winning the exchange. But at the end, I mean, Biden's point is kind of a a debate stopper. He's like, you can criticize me all you want. I want more people to have coverage. People are losing their coverage under you. You're not for helping anybody. True. Very true. But of course, listen, for me, the thing that just sucks is, yeah, he is running away from Medicare for all. And I mean, we shouldn't be surprised because he was always saying this stuff. So there's a degree of honesty that's there versus somebody like Mayor Pete who pretended to be for it for seven and a half minutes and then he flipped on it. Um, But yeah, I mean, when that's like one of my top issues, if not my top issue, and you look at the state of affairs in the country right now, that is kind of inexcusable, isn't it? Like, really? We have a pandemic and a depression and tens of millions of people, no health insurance, and you're not for covering everybody. You're not for copying the rest of the developed world. It's just like, wow, we're in this moment, which is like such a defining moment. This is like a new Great Depression. What a terrible year this has been and everything. And there's not, you don't have the proper, these people don't have the proper view of it. They don't have a proper gauge on the scope of the problem and what we need to do to address it. It's just like politics as usual. And I mean, that gets under my skin. But yeah, the This clip says the most about the debate, says the most about the debate. It's like, who can bash the left the most? That's really what it it feels like. It's like, okay, who wants to run away from the left the most at a time when left solutions are proving to be the solution and the most important thing we could do? So, God damn it. Overall, I will score that for Biden because of the last point. But, yeah, there were moments in the middle there, you know, about um, he's running away from the left when I wish he would embrace the left. And to have, like, the default assumption on stage be like, well, of course the left is stupid and wrong, that got under my skin more than anything else. Okay, next. So one of the issues that kept coming up in the first general election debate between Biden and Trump is the issue of COVID. And that makes perfect sense. Every poll shows this is the first thing on the mind of the American people. Um, You know, the economy's up there too, but the economy is impacted massively by COVID. So, I mean, it paints everything. This is, this could be the COVID election. And if it is, Trump's in serious, serious trouble. I like how he's voguing. Doesn't look like he's voguing. Remember the Vogue dance? You guys are probably too young for that. But anyway, um, So here's one of the back and forths on uh, COVID. Let's take a look and then I'll break it down. 
and erupted. Good luck. 200,000 dead, as you said, over 7 million infected in the United States. We, in fact, have 5%, 4% of the world's population, 20% of the deaths. 40,000 people a day are contracting COVID. In addition to that, about between 750 and 1,000 people a day are dying. When he was presented with that number, he said, it is what it is. Well, it is what it is because you are who you are. That's why it is. The president has no plan. He hasn't laid out anything. He knew all the way back in February how serious this crisis was. He knew it was a deadly disease. What did he do? He's on tape as acknowledging he knew it. He said he didn't tell us or give people a warning of it because he didn't want to panic the American people. You don't panic. He panicked. In addition to that, what did he do? He went in and he, we were insisting that the Chinese, the, the people we had on the ground in China should be able to go to Wuhan and determine for themselves how dangerous this was. He did not even ask Xi to do that. He told us what a great job she was doing. He said we owe him a debt of gratitude for being so transparent with us. And what did he do then? He then did nothing. He, he waited and waited and waited. He still doesn't have a plan. Well, I laid out sir, back in March exactly so, so. what we should be doing. And I laid out again in July what we should be doing. We should be providing all the protective gear possible. We should be providing the money the House has passed in order to be able to go out and get people the help they need to keep their businesses open. Open schools that cost a lot of money. You should get out of your bunker and get out of the sand trap and get in, in your golf course and go in the Oval Office and bring together the Democrats and Republicans and fund what needs to be done now to save lives. So if we would have listened wait, wait, to you. You have two minutes, sir. If we would have listened to you, the country would have been left wide open. Millions of people would have died, not 200,000, and one person is too much. It's China's fault. It should have never happened. They stopped it from going in, but it was China's fault. And by the way, when you talk about numbers, you don't know how many people died in China. You don't know how many people died in Russia. You don't know how many people died in India. They don't exactly give you a straight count, just so you understand. But if you look at what we've done, I closed it, and you said he's xenophobic. He's a racist, and he's xenophobic. Because you didn't Senator think we should have closed our country. Wait a minute. You didn't think we should have closed our country because you thought it was too, it was terrible. You wouldn't have closed it for another two months. By my doing it early, in fact, Dr. Fauci said, President Trump saved thousands of lives. Many of your Democrat governors said, President Trump did a phenomenal job. We worked with the governor. Oh, really? Go take a look. The governors said I did a phenomenal job. Most of them said that. In fact, <laughs> People that would not be necessarily on my side said that. President Trump did a phenomenal job. We did. We got the gowns. We got the masks. We made the ventilators. You wouldn't have made ventilators. And now we're weeks away from a vaccine. We're doing therapeutics already. Fewer people are dying when they get sick. Far fewer people are dying. We've done a great job. The only thing I haven't done a good job, and that's because of the fake news, no matter what you say to them, they give you bad press on it. It's just fake news. They give you good press, they give me bad press, because that's the way it is, unfortunately. But let me just tell you something. I don't care. I've gotten used to it. But I'll tell you, Joe, you could never have done the job that we did. You don't have it in your blood. You could have never done that job. I know how to do the job. I know how to get the job. Well, you didn't do very well in swine flu. H1N1, you were a disaster. Your own chief of staff said you were a disaster. 14,000 people died, not 200,000. Very economic recession.
I don't know why Trump brings that up. Like, you can't bring up swine flu when the death count is so much lower, even if it wasn't as deadly a disease. They objectively handled it better than you handled COVID. I mean, what a terrible point that is. <laughs> I mean, just what are you doing? Why would you do that? Oh, that's so stupid. Anyway, um, yeah, there was this moment, and then there were um, some other moments on COVID throughout the debate where I really think Biden made his strongest points. He said something that stuck with me. He said, um, you keep talking about bringing back the economy. You're never going to bring back the economy until you control the virus, and you're not controlling the virus. And I was like, damn, son. He did kind of get him on that. He did kind of get him on that. So there were multiple points where on COVID, Biden hammered him and hammered him and hammered him, and Trump was actually on defense that entire time. The line that people are talking about there was um, when Biden said, get out of your bunker, get out of your sand trap, and fund what needs to be funded to save lives. You know, it, it's interesting because with, remember with, um, with Hillary, when she delivered her like canned prepackaged lines, you knew immediately they were prepackaged. Like with the, remember when they were talking about the economy and Hillary goes, he's in favor of trickle-down economics. He calls it trumped-up trickle-down And everybody was like, uh, uh. <laughs> it was bad. Everybody, even, even her like supporters in mainstream media were like, mm, mm. <laughs> so, but anyway, my point is with Hillary, you, it just came across as gross with Biden. I would bet that that was like a, a pre-planned line and he kind of delivered it where you're not sure if it was pre-planned. Like it is possible. He just sort of shot from the hip and was like, Get out of your bunker, get out of your sand trap, and go, you know, go address COVID. It's possible that it was shooting from the hip. Again, I think it's likely it was, it was pre-planned, but just the fact that we're even questioning whether or not it was pre-planned, I think scores points for him stylistically and kind of in part explains why people don't have that same visceral hatred of Biden that they had of Hillary. It's just not there. Um, so then Trump goes on and talks about how he, uh, he closed flights from China. This is like his go-to point to say, oh, listen, I'm taking, I took COVID very seriously. I did this amazing thing, and I did it before anybody else would have done it. So aren't I so on top of the ball? Here's the problem, man. At, by the time he banned flights from China, the virus was already spreading in the United States massively. So banning the flights from China, that's not going to impact if the virus is already spreading here. Like, you do know it's not like you can only catch COVID from somebody from Wuhan, correct? Like, if it's already spreading here and you ban flights from China, that's not like the, the debate stopper point that you think it is. It's like, oh, okay, so you did not nearly enough is your, is your argument. <laughs> I did this thing that wasn't nearly sufficient. Congratulations. It's just, it's such a bad point. Um, and then, and here's another problem for Trump. And he does this all the time. He makes this mistake all the time. And it shows that he hasn't figured this out yet in terms of the strategy that he wants to go with. He, was, he said, oh, all these people were telling me President Trump did a phenomenal job. Hey, dude, you can't, there are 200,000 people who are dead. This virus has affected everybody in the country in one way or another, whether it's economically or whether it's went health, losing a loved one, getting it yourself, whatever it might be. 
this is one of those things where you cannot override the reality with bravado and marketing. And that's what he's trying to do. Oh, yeah, a lot of people saying I'm di- I did a phenomenal job. The, the country does not feel that way. Your numbers are really low on COVID. Biden is viewed much better on the issue. So you can't, my point is, he's not in the mode of like, hey, listen, here are the steps that we're going to take in order to improve it. And I'll lay them out for you. You'll see that they're perfectly reasonable. You'll see that I have a plan. I have a goal. I have targets set. I have dates lined up for when I want to achieve these various things. See, that's what a leader does. A leader's like, Stan, that things are bad right now. We're going to fix it. But Trump does not acknowledge that things are bad. He just goes right to, actually, things are awesome. And the analogy I made in the previous show is, that's like you're the coach of a basketball team. And when you're down 17 points in the fourth quarter, you go tell your players during a timeout, listen, I mean, some people say that we're losing. I think we're winning. I'm pretty sure that we're winning. I think you did a great job. I think you did the best job. And I don't, I don't care what anybody else thinks, what anybody else says. In my mind, we're actually winning. That would be viewed as psychotic. A real leader goes, we're down 17 points. Here's how we win. Here's the strategy we go with. Let me draw up a play for you. And then you motivate them. You guys can do this. I know you can do it. You have the ability. But he just acts like they're already winning. That's not going to work, dude. It's not going to work. And Biden is the beneficiary of Trump's stupid strategy where he gets to stand up there and just basically exist. And people are like, that's got to be better than what we have now. I'm telling you, COVID, on, on the COVID-related issues, that's really where Trump is coming across the worst. And it's going to impact the election for sure. Okay. Next. All right, so one of the attacks against Joe Biden from Trump really, I think, epitomizes why his 2016 strategy was way better than his 2020 strategy. In 2016, he had these one-liners that were punchy, but also kind of funny. Um, You know, the you'd be in jail line for Hillary or any of a number of lines he used. Are you kidding me? In the Republican primaries. Oh, my God, he was spot on. It wasn't just like Trump being an ass. It was also like, hey, that was kind of funny. There were laugh lines. In some ways, dare I say it, charming. And when you're calling out Jeb Bush over the Iraq war, love it, love it. 2020, all the humor, all the charm, it's just gone. And we're left with this. What he's telling you, in light of all the lies he's told you about the whole issue relating to COVID, he still hasn't even acknowledged that he knew this was happening, knew how dangerous it was going to be back in February, and he didn't even tell you. He's on record as saying it. He panicked or he just looked at the stock market, one of the two, because guess what? A lot of people die, and a lot more are going to die unless he gets a lot smarter, a lot quicker. Mr. President, did you use the word smart? Uh, So you said you went to Delaware State, but you forgot the name of your college. You didn't go to Delaware State. You graduated either the lowest or almost the lowest in your class. Don't ever use the word smart with me. 
Don't ever use that word. Oh, give me a break. Because you know what? There's nothing smart about you, Joe. 47 years, you've done nothing. Well, let's have this debate. And if you would have had, let me just say you something, Joe. Now, if you would have had the charge of what I was put through, I had to close the greatest economy in the history of our country. And by the way, now it's being built again. So and we're going to get to the economy in the next segment, sir. Okay. Yeah, so this is just a perfect example of how the magic is seemingly gone for Trump. Like, that just came across as, as petty and personal and, like, you're just being a dick, you know? Like, don't say the word smart to me. You know, you, you said you graduated at the top of the class. Really, you graduated near the bottom. whoop de freaking do! <laughs> what is this, 100 years ago? I don't care. I don't care if that happened two weeks ago. Like, that's not... Okay, guys, we're past... Like, this is a 1980s-style political scandal. You said you, you graduated at the top of your class, and you graduated near the bottom. Who gives a shit? Who cares? Like, in the 1980s, yes, that sank his campaign. But, like, I don't know if you noticed, the year is 2020... We have a pandemic that killed 200,000 people. We have an economy, which is a joke. It's a colossal house of cards. Billionaires have basically all the money. The real unemployment rate is about 20%. People are taking wage cuts. And I'm supposed to care that Joe Biden, in the prehistoric era, <laughs> lied about where he graduated in his class? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. You can't divert. And here's the main point, guys. There's another Kyle rule of politics which is when you're talking policy, you can't divert to personal because if you divert to personal, then you lose, okay? It's one thing if, like, if Biden were to respond to the personal attack with a personal attack, that's fair game because you can go tit for tat. That's always acceptable. But if you're the first one to make it personal, you're, you're the loser. You're wrong. Like, you come across as looking petty, cheap in the exchange, and that's what it was. And I really do feel like a lot of the shots that were at Hillary or the other Republicans in 2016, they were, like, funny. They were sometimes correct. This is just, like, like when I heard this, my, my feeling was, like, oh, my God, Trump is going full elitist. This is full elitist. This is elitism defined. You said you graduated in the top of your class, please. You're near the bottom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the bottom. <laughs> I got news for you, man. Probably rather hang out with those people at the bottom. <laughs> Do I want to hang out with the person who graduated first in their class? That guy's probably insufferable and smug. But the person at the bottom, have a beer with that person. And that's the thing is like, so people watching this, can interpret that as, like, Trump would look down on me, too. See what I'm saying? So it's not like the every man outsider, populist billionaire facade melted away in that moment where he just came across as an elitist, and that's what he is. And there were other moments, like he said, you, you wouldn't have been able to handle COVID. You don't have it in your blood. See, that's one of those, like, soft genetic determinism arguments of, like, some people are just made for greatness, other people are not made for greatness. I'm one of the people who are made for greatness, and all you plebs out there, ridiculous. You don't have the leadership skills that I have. I was born with them. So elitist, just dripping with elitist, elitism and incredibly sanctimonious. And Biden was like, 
come on, man, in classic Biden fashion, but you got the sense he was really like, shut up. Like, oh, oh, really? You're going to go after me for not being smart? It's like, you're Donald Trump, born with a silver spoon in your mouth, born on third and thought you hit a triple. Like, who are we kidding? This guy thinks he's, I actually don't even know if he really thinks he's intelligent, but he says it all the time, you know. I'm like a really smart person. Who says that? Who says that? Is a real genius going to say that? Like, listen, one thing that's always been the case with me, I'm like really smart. I have a big a brain. These are things he's actually said. Who says that? So anyway, it's just this is not the line you go with because you come across as looking petty. And he did. I really think this exchange went against Trump and for Biden. Okay, next. Let's talk about masks. There were a bunch of moments in the first general election debate that really made my jaw hit the floor. Here's one of them. The topic is masks. And you're just going to see how ridiculous the current moment is. I don't think this is something that ever would have happened under previous administrations, Democratic or Republican. Um, But with Trump, you never know what you're going to get. Take a look. You have begun to increasingly question the effectiveness of masks as a disease preventer, and in fact, recently you have cited the the issue of of waiters touching their masks and touching plates. Are you questioning the the, the efficacy of masks? You have to understand, if you look, I mean, I have a mask right here. I put a mask on it, you know, when I think I need it. Tonight, as an example, everybody's had a test, and you've had social distancing and all of the things that you have to, but I Just wear masks rally. when needed. When needed, I wear masks. Okay, let me ask. I don't, have to, I don't wear masks like him. Every time you see him, he's got a mask. He could be speaking 200 feet away from me, and he shows up with the biggest mask I've ever seen. <laughs> I will Vice, say, Vice, I will Vice, say Vice, Vice President Biden, go ahead, sir. Look, the way to open businesses is giving them the wherewithal to be able to. We provided money to come. But I was asking you, sir, about masks. Well, masks mask make a big difference. His own head of the CDC said if we just wore masks between now, if there, everybody wore masks in social distance between now and January, we'd probably save up to 100,000 lives. It matters. And they've also it said matters. the opposite. They've and also said no, no serious person said the opposite. Like, that really is just amazing to me. I'm perpetually shocked by this. And I've covered it multiple times on the show. But, like... You're the president of the United States of America, and he always, always, always waffles on masks in the middle of a pandemic where 200,000 Americans have died. And again, the, the best example of how well this works is the Japan example, where they did limited shutdowns, they had some economic shutdowns, but early on, only 1,000 people died, but we had 50, 60, 70 80,000 people dead, they had 1,000 people who died in Japan because they have basically universal masks. Of course masks work. 
if you spread COVID mostly through the droplets when you cough, if you wear a mask, the droplets don't get out so people don't get sick. I know because I live in New York, the epicenter of the outbreak early on in the U.S., the second we started having universal masks where everybody wore it, our numbers plummeted. But he waffles on masks as if this isn't like life or death consequences and as if he doesn't look like the biggest idiot in the world when he does this. I mean, this is right up there with like denying evolution and denying climate change. Yes, the science is settled. By the way, he goes on to bring up Dr. Fauci and said, hey, many people say the opposite, that masks don't work, like Dr. Fauci. The problem was Dr. Fauci was lying. He was lying because we feared a mask shortage for frontline workers. So he said, uh, masks don't work to try to stop people from buying masks so that our frontline workers would be protected. The scandal there is that he lied. But Trump brings it up as if, like, it's a reasonable counter-opinion. No, what you just described is the reason why people struggle to believe a lot of the experts now is because somebody like Dr. Fauci lied early on. That's unacceptable. But the scandal is that he lied and masks work. It's not like, no, nah, some people say this, some people say that. You know, it is what it is. What are you going to do? It's typical, like, and I know these kinds of people because I'm immersed in it. This is like a typical New York bullshitter. You know, I talk to a lot of people, you know, and some people say that maybe masks are a good thing and masks help, help a lot. And I got some other people who say, hey, I wore a mask and I got sick and maybe it is the mask that get me sick. And what am I supposed to do with that? You know, you hear all these different things. You don't know what to believe. And for me, when I'm out there, I think it's easier if I don't have a mask on. Like, no, you stop trying to override empirical reality and science with like bravado and flippant anecdotes. Like you're the president of the United States. On this, there's no comparison. Biden is just like an adult, and Trump is like a toddler. Even the, like, the pot shot of, like, this guy wears a mask at any time. People are a thousand yards away. He's got the mask on. <laughs> what a loser. <laughs> oh, you're the loser. That, the line that got me was at the very end when he was like, some people say the opposite. <laughs> yeah, total morons say the opposite. People on your Facebook feed in blurry memes made by MagaChick69 say the opposite. These people don't know about science. They don't know about masks. How have masks become political? I mean, come on. Jesus Christ, man. Ah. You can't do that as president. You just can't do that. But anyway, I really think most people watch that and they're like, come on. Like, come on, dude. Come on, dude. Don't do your stupid little Trump thing that you always do. Like, I'll, I'll say both things at once, and I'll, like, try to appeal to the dumbest people. Don't do that. Don't do that. This is a pandemic, man. If Imagine, I always bring this point up, but imagine if from the very beginning Trump was 100% pro-mask. Because, by the way, there people, a lot of people say he's a germaphobe. I don't know if that's true, but if it is true, then, yeah, there was a chance that early on he could have been like, yeah, I'm super pro-mask, and he could sell his Trump masks and, you know, we would have had so many fewer deaths. But he didn't do that. And now, just the other day, there was a Republican official trying to do the Trump mask thing, but it was too late. The ship had already sailed because this guy's been undermining, Trump has been undermining masks for such a long time and waffling for such a long time. And now there's a whole movement on the right of, like, masks are fake news or whatever. Oh, 
Oh, it's tough to watch. It really is tough to watch. Anyway, I truly believe that even other presidents, and I would argue overall George W. Bush was a worse president than Donald Trump, for sure. The death count is way higher under Bush than it is under Trump. But I do think that on this issue, even Bush would have been better than Trump. Even Bush would have been like, yeah, wear a mask. What are you, an idiot? Okay. All right, let me do one more, then we'll take a break. So I want to show you guys, this is uh, one of the most heated moments of the night, the first debate between Biden and Trump. Um, This is one that people were talking about for a while. Let's take a look position that he pays less tax than a school teacher makes on the money a school teacher makes is because of him taking, he says he's smart because he can take advantage of the tax code. And he does take advantage of the tax code. That's why I'm going to eliminate the Trump tax codes. And we're going to to eliminate those tax codes and make sure that we invest in the people who, in fact, need the help. People out there need help. But why didn't you do it over 20, in the no, last no, no, 25 no, years? Because you weren't president, you because you were president screwing things up. You were a senator. You're the worst you president voice. America has ever had. Hey, hey, Come Joe, on. Let, me, let me just say, Joe, I've done more in, in 47 months. I've done more than you've done in 47 years, Joe. We've done things that you never even thought of, okay. including Gentlemen. fixing the broken military that you gave me, but, 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 taking care we're of your talking debt. Broken military. <laughs> I, I have, I'll never know where the hell he came up with this nonsense from. The idea that, like, Obama and Biden weren't continuing the military-industrial complex like every other president. Of course they were. It was abysmal. We spent way too much money on the military. He's talking about pff, depleted military. He always, he always does this. Like, we spend more than the next ten biggest nations combined, and that was even under them. So the military is way too big. Imagine, imagine doing the right thing, like if Bernie was president and he cut the military like 30 or 40%, these guys would just lose it, and they'd be so wrong. I mean, just insanely wrong. But anyway, um, yeah, so the two lines there was Biden when he said, you're the worst president America's ever had. Come on, man. I mean, I find that line hilarious. Like, it's pretty funny. I was tweeting about it when I heard it. I was kind of shocked that he said it. Like, I wasn't expecting something like that. I think the funniest part about it was that he almost seemed like he genuinely wanted Trump to be like, I agree. (laughs) The way he said it, he's like, you're the worst president America's ever had. Come on, man. Like, admit it. Admit it. Come on. You know it's kind of true, isn't it? Um, I mean, listen, as a matter of fact, I think you have to say that – Andrew Jackson, Native American Genocide, Trail of Tears, worse. George W. Bush, Iraq War, hundreds of thousands of innocent uh, civilians killed, worse. The nuking of Japanese civilians, Truman, right, where uh, at least 200,000 dead, that's worse. (laughs) A lot of presidents own slaves, got to say they're worse. But, uh, yeah, it... You, there is an argument to be made worst in modern American history. Again, I would argue Bush is probably worse, or at the very least, it's tied. 
But you, there's an argument there, but he didn't say modern. He said worst president America's ever had. Perhaps I'm being too literal in like, trying to fact-check this. But uh, I think that was, either way, I think that was a good line. I think that, that that made a lot of people, a lot of Democrats go like, finally, somebody's saying some stuff to his face. I felt like um, the Hillary attacks weren't as like blunt as a lot of the, the Biden attacks are, because Biden's got that everyman vibe to him, where he's shooting from the hip with no filter. So, yeah, um, not a bad line. But Trump's comeback wasn't bad either. He said, uh, in 47 months, I've done more than you've done in 47 years. I thought that was a good line. Um, I thought that was a good line. I'm not sure which one landed. Overall, we know that the debate poll showed that people thought Biden won and Trump didn't. But this was one one of the most discussed moments of the night. And I will give Biden credit for the point he made early on, which is, I'm going to eliminate the Trump tax cuts. Now, there are articles that the Democrats are already backing off of that because they're idiots and morons and also somewhat corrupt and owned by corporate America as well. But yeah, if they do that, if that's something that you know Biden would try to do as president, I would 1 million percent agree with that. Because as you guys already know, because we discuss it all the time, 83 percent of the benefits of that tax bill go to the top 1 percent. And in fact, it's a net tax increase on people who make $75,000 a year or less over a 10-year period. So all the cuts for the wealthy are permanent. All the cuts for regular people are temporary. It really is a scam of a bill to just give money to corporations and the wealthy. The, the corporate tax rate went from nominally 35% to 21% under this bill. Biden says, I'm at least going to take it to 28%. So at least he wants to raise taxes on corporations a little bit. It's his most reasonable take. Um, so, yeah, I agree with Biden on, on the policy front there. But again, this was one of the biggest moments, particularly because of, you're the worst president America's ever had. Come on, man. And the, the 47 months, 47 years line from Trump. Okay. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, I'm not done yet with the debate. I still got plenty more clips, including Biden's best line of the debate. Um, Trump going after Biden for the crime bill. And, oh boy, Hunter Biden comes up. Hunter Biden comes up. And the other moment everybody's talking about, Trump on the Proud Boys. So stay right there. We'll be right back with all that and much more.
I am back, bitch. I am back, I am back. And we are still diving in to the blood sport that happened last night on all of our TVs. Okay. I want to give another example here of how Trump isn't landing like he was in 2016. That's a theme that I'm going to keep coming back to because I think it's really obvious. Here's a pivot that he made while talking about policy. Look at where he takes the conversation when Biden brings up China. And so you take a look at what he's actually done. He's done very little. His trade deals are the same way. He talks about these great trade deals. You know, he talks about the art of the deal. China's made, perfected the art of the steel. We have a higher deficit with China now than we did before. We have the highest deficit, trade deficit China with ate Mexico. Your lunch. All right, ate 10%. 10%. So China ate your lunch, Joe. And no wonder your son goes in and he takes out, he takes out billions of dollars takes out billions of dollars to manage. He makes millions of dollars. And also, while we're at it, why is it, just out of curiosity, the mayor of Moscow's wife gave your son $3.5 million. That's what did he true. do to deserve it? That what did he do with Barista to deserve $183,000? None of that None of that is true. Oh, really? It's totally no, Mr. President, it's totally, Mr. President, please. Totally discredited. So here's the thing. Is it a real issue when you talk about Hunter and corruption? It is. It absolutely is. And you see this all the time with these career politicians who've made it to the highest levels of government. Their families cash in in ways that at the very least are unethical. Probably it goes beyond that and it's illegal in some instances, but at the very least it's unethical. It is true that Hunter Biden was getting paid a lot of money sitting on a Ukrainian natural gas board, and he doesn't know anything about Ukraine or anything about natural gas. And so, yeah, the idea is they're getting these cushy jobs because it's, it allows them access to Biden, and Biden is a powerful politician, and he can do favors for whichever Ukrainians are involved, the Ukrainian government, so on and so forth. Um, Now, it also needs to be said, we just learned the other day that Trump made about $73 million in 2016 and 2017 from foreign investors and foreign governments as president. The clearest violation of the Emoluments Clause I've ever seen in my life, and he's definitely returning favors. I mean, just the Saudi Arabia weapons deal is enough. I mean, making money from Saudi Arabia through his D.C. hotel and then giving them a multi-billion dollar weapons deal... Meanwhile, he used to say things about Saudi Arabia, about how they're responsible for 9-11. All of a sudden, that's gone, and he's giving them weapons as they do a genocide in Yemen. So, yes, Biden and Hunter, like, there is corruption there. Biden's family cashed in on his public profile, for sure. Same with Trump. Without a doubt, the same with Trump. But here's where Trump messed up. Biden was talking about trade policy and the trade deficit with China. And Trump pivoted to make it personal and make it about Hunter. That was a mistake. That was a mistake. I'm telling you, man, one of the Kyle rules of politics is if you're talking policy, you can't make it personal. 
Because once you make it personal, you lose. Now, once that door is open, somebody can respond tit for tat. And so if Biden wanted to say something personal back to Trump, that's fair game because Trump opened the door and he said something personal. But if you're the first one to go personal, you lose. Because people, I, think, I don't think people react well to that, man. And the problem for Trump here is he's the Fox News grandpa. Like, he's too drunk on Fox News and One American News Network, and he's in that right-wing bubble. And, like, so he says, says these things, and it's all obvious to him. Like, of course, Hunter's incredibly corrupt, and you're incredibly corrupt, and I'm going to bring that up, and I'm going to nail you on that. But when Biden was making substantive points on the trade deficit, and when Biden was talking about, you know, trade policy, and you go to that, it just looks like you're being petty, and it's a low blow, because you are being petty. Now, it's not a low blow because it is, corruption is fair game, but, you know, that's where, again, if Biden wanted to, he could flip that right back on you. You made over $70 million from foreign investors and foreign governments as president. Jimmy Carter had to sell his peanut farm just because of the appearance that some foreign investors or foreign governments might pay him through there. So, again, I'm telling you, man, that is not landing for Trump. In 2016, Trump's one-liners were witty, clever, sometimes correct, funny, funny. But this is not. That's just like, it's screechy. It's whiny. It's insular. Only the people who are already full MAGA are going to watch that and go, yeah, good point. Regular people don't know, don't really care about Hunter. They don't know and they don't care. Plus, you're the one that's in power now, and you're the one that's taking money from foreign investors and foreign governments now. So it's just, it's too in his own bubble. He's dating himself. The attacks on Hillary in 2016 were around the Iraq war, were around um, trade policy. Now it's Biden hitting Trump on trade policy. By the way, Biden brought up in the debate, buy America. Basically, stealing a Trump line from Trump. Trump focusing on trade and bringing jobs here. And Biden was the one talking about that, and Trump goes to Hunter. There was another line that pissed a lot of people off, too. I don't think you saw it here, but where Biden brings up Bo, his son that died, and talks about, you know, he brings up the, I think it honestly was a fake report in the Atlantic about Trump called the troops, what was it, suckers and losers or something. It was too, and the guy has a history of making stuff up, the guy who wrote that piece. So I, I actually don't think Trump said that, but put that aside. Biden hit Trump on that and said, you call the soldiers losers and suckers. My son Bo was not a loser or a sucker or something along those lines. And Trump's like, who? Who are you talking about? Hunter? I know Hunter's like making a lot of money. And I know Hunter got kicked out of the military for cocaine use. And Biden was like, no, I was talking about Bo, like the son that died. And so, of course, the media clutches their pearls. Oh, how could you? He talked about Bo and you brought up Hunter. But the point that I see people stressing is he hit Hunter for being an addict. And like, Anybody who knows anything about addiction knows it's a lot more complicated. It's not just a moral failing of the person who has addiction. It's a lot more complicated than that. And Trump's, like, flippant old guy, you know, diagnosis of, like, he was dishonorably discharged because he was, he was doing cocaine. Like, he turned a criticism that substantively is legitimate about, like, hunter and corruption 
he turned it into a gross personal attack about addiction. And it's like, mm, it's just, I'm telling you, it's not cute anymore. Trump is now coming across as crass and unhinged and bloviating and annoying and whiny. It's not like the punchy, witty 2016 Trump that was actually interesting. So, I mean, this is just one guy's opinion here that you're getting from me. Maybe you guys disagree. Maybe you disagree a lot. Maybe you disagree a little. Whatever it might be. But my take on it is, it's not, the magic is gone. The magic is gone. He's too in his own bubble. He's too drunk on Fox News. He's not, the attacks aren't, don't hit a nerve anymore because it's not on war. It's not on trade policy. It's petty. It's personal. It's vindictive. And also, 200,000 people died on his watch, and that's going to hurt any incumbent president. Okay. Next. This clip that you're about to see here from the debate is Trump stumbling on something that was good. It was a good line of attack. It really was. And then he just steers the car right into the ditch and messes it up. President Trump, you have two minutes. Why should Americans trust you over your opponent to deal with race? He did a crime bill, 1994, where you called them super predators, African-Americans, super predators, and they've never forgotten it. They've never forgotten it, Jefferson. No, no, sir, it's his two minutes. So you did that, and they called you a super predator, and I'm letting people out of jail now that you have treated the African-American population community, you have treated the black community about as bad as anybody in this country. You did the 1990, and that's why, if you look at the polls, I'm doing better than any Republican has done in a long time, because they saw what you did. You called them super predators, and you've called them worse than that, because you look back at your testimony over the years, you've called them a lot worse than that. As far as the church is concerned, and as far as the generals are concerned, we just got the support of 200, 250 military leaders and generals, total support. Law enforcement, almost every law enforcement group in the United States, I have Florida, I have Texas, I have Ohio, I have Every, excuse me, Portland, the sheriff just came out today and he said, I support President Trump. I don't think you have any law enforcement. You can't even say the word law enforcement because if you say those words, you're going to lose all of your radical left supporters. And why aren't you saying those words, Joe? Why don't you say the words law enforcement? Because, you know what, if they called us in Portland, we would put out that fire in a half an hour, but they won't do it because they're run by radical left Democrats. If you look at Chicago, if you look at any place you want to look, Seattle, they heard we were coming in the following day, and they put up their hands, and we got back Seattle. <laughs> Minneapolis, we got it back, Joe, because we believe in law and order, but you don't. The top 10 cities and just about the top 40 cities are run by Democrats, and in many cases, radical left, and they've got you wrapped around their finger, Joe, to a point where you don't want to say anything about law and order. And I'll tell you what, the people of this country want and demand law and order, and you're afraid to even say it. 
So he starts out by hitting him on the 1994 crime bill, which Joe wrote. He didn't just vote for it. He wrote it, at least in part. I don't know if he wrote the whole thing. Whatever. doesn't really matter. And he brings up, now to be fair, I don't, I don't know if Joe was the one who said super predator unless he also said it. Hillary said that. Maybe Joe said it, maybe he didn't. I don't know. But hitting him on the crime bill makes sense because the crime bill led to the current crisis of mass incarceration, and which disproportionately impacted people of color. It's true. It's absolutely true. So Trump hits him on that. Totally fair game. Totally legitimate point. Now, he messed up a little bit, even up front, because he didn't bring up that he signed the First Step Act, which would have been good to bring up. He also didn't bring up that he pardoned Alice Johnson, which would have been a great thing to bring up. Um, So he messed up there, but he really, really, really screwed up the entire line of attack when he went from hitting him on the crime bill, so basically arguing, you're too tough on crime. You're locking people up for nonviolent offenses. And then he goes to, I believe in law and order. You don't believe in law and order. You're soft on crime. So the argument is, Joe, you're too tough on crime, and you're too soft on crime. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. That makes no sense. Trump really needs to get these things ironed out. He doesn't, like, he doesn't realize that a contradiction is a thing. Like, I get it. You're in a race against Joe. You want to hit Joe however the hell you can hit Joe. Like, I got it. That's obvious. That's clear. I see it. But it has to be logically consistent and coherent. You can't just use any and all arguments. And that's really what he's doing. He's using any and all arguments. And some of them are just terrible arguments. Like, by the way, the polls show that on Law & Order, Biden is beating Trump. That people don't, as much as Trump likes to portray himself as a Law & Order president, people don't view him that way. Why? Well, for example, remember when he tear-gassed peaceful protesters to do a photo op with a Bible in front of a church? People looked at that and said, oh, you're the chaos president. You're not for law and order. You just gas peaceful protesters. Not law and order at all. You're committing the crimes in many instances. Right or wrong? Completely right. So people people get that. People see that. Um, And Trump kept contradicting himself. There's another part, and we'll, we'll cover this in a little bit, but there was another part where Trump brings up how the election is, is so fraudulent. It's such a fraud. All these things going on with the ballots, totally unacceptable, totally not cool, horrendous. And then he seamlessly goes from that to, and I think we're going to do really well in this election because people love the job we're doing. The election's a total fraud, and we're going to win it because people really love what we're doing. Wait, is it a fraud, or are you going to win it, and it's legitimate? Which is it? (laughs) You can't say it's a fraud and then, like, you win and then you flip that, right? Like, no, if it's a fraud, then even if you win, you should be like, this is illegitimate. I got to hand it to Biden because it was illegitimate from the beginning. I think it was fraudulent. It's not like it's not fraudulent now that I won. You see what I'm saying? Like, uh, uh, it's just endless contradiction. Listen, this is evidence the theory that Trump is all impulse all the time. When you're all impulse all the time, yeah, 
you'll contradict yourself quite a bit. And that's what we're seeing here. I was prepared. When I first heard him attack him over the crime bill, I was like, oh, wow. So I thought I would be doing a segment where it would just be like, listen, got to hand it to Trump. This was a good line of attack. He destroyed Biden on this. It's correct. Biden locked up so many poor people and people of color. Got to acknowledge reality. I thought that that would be the segment that I'm doing. But then he slowly but surely ruined his own line of attack by contradicting it. And on that front, Biden is ripe for criticism. I, I don't even, did Trump even, I don't even think he brought up the Iraq war or the Patriot Act or NAFTA. I don't even think he brought, how, these are the things he's weakest on. How do you not bring that up? And when you bring up one thing that made sense, the crime bill, you immediately ruined your own point. I mean, I know I've said it a thousand times, but I'm going to say it again. Trump is in trouble. I'm just about ready to pound the gavel. Okay. We shall continue, bitch. So there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, what, what line was the best line of the debate. I want to give you what may be Biden's best line, and then we'll talk about it. A crime. Public it is city. crazy what's going on. And he doesn't want to say law and order because he can't, because he'll lose his radical left supporters. And once he does that, it's over with. But if he ever got to run this country and they ran it the way he would want to run it, we would have... We would our suburbs would be gone. By the suburbs. way, our suburbs would be gone, and you would see problems like you've he never seen. He wouldn't know a suburb unless he took a wrong turn. Oh, I know suburbs. He would not. So I was, raised, go ahead. I was, Wait a minute. I was Wait. raised in the suburbs. This is not 1950. All these dog whistles and racism don't work anymore. Suburbs are by and large integrated. There's many people today driving their kids to soccer practice and or to uh, black and white and Hispanic in the same car as there have been any time in, in the past. What's, what really is a threat to the suburbs and their safety is his failure to deal with COVID. They're dying in the suburbs. His failure to deal with the environment. They're being flooded. They're being burned out because he okay. has refusal to do anything. That's why the suburbs are in trouble. I, I do want to talk. Credit where it's due, man. That was a really, really good line of attack. So Trump is trying to portray himself as, like, the law and order guy, the guy who's going to stand up for suburbia. He always brings up, like, oh, they want to build low-income housing in the suburbs, destroying your suburban American dream lifestyle. And it's like, we all know what you're doing there. Like, it's barely coded. Like, low-income housing is coming to the suburbs. Black and brown people coming to the white neighborhoods. Be afraid. Law and order. I'll bring law and order. I'll kick out the people of color. Like, that's the undertone of it. Now, you could say, hey, that's uncharitable. Honestly, I think you're naive if you don't realize that that's what he's actually saying. But Biden, I mean, he made a great point. To be fair, Biden has a horrible history on these issues. Biden literally worked with segregationists when he got to the Senate. Like, that was his introduction to politics. I think he gave the eulogy at Strom Thurmond's death or some segregationist death. So, you know, I'm not trying to say here, like, oh, he's great substantively on this stuff. The guy who wrote the crime bill is not going to be great on racial issues. Duh. But having said that, this line of attack 
He says, you wouldn't know the suburbs unless you took a wrong turn. I know the suburbs. I was raised in the suburbs. You're doing all these dog whistles. It's not 1950 anymore. The suburbs are largely integrated. And if you want to know the real threat to the suburbs, it's not like black people moving in. The real threat is COVID, which you're not getting under control. And I think, here's why I think this line is just so spot on. Trump has tried so hard to change the nature of the race and, and divert away from COVID and the 200,000 deaths and how this is, it's just been a disaster through and through. And the issue he's chosen to focus on is, oh my God, rioting. Oh my God, protests. Oh my God, looting. Oh my God, what a mess. I'm going to bring law and order and I'm going to protect you. That's the argument he's going with. How many deaths have there been as a result of the protests and even the rioting and the looting? What's the total death count as a result of that? That's a serious question. What's the total death count? Now, compare whatever that number is to the 200,000 people dead as a result of COVID. Trump's spending all his time focusing on the thing, saying, I'm going to protect you, law and order. I'm going to protect you. Again, focusing on the riots and the looting and the, and the protests. And Biden's like, you're, con- you're fearful of the wrong thing. Even if I grant you the most vituperative, over-the-top perception of how bad the riots are, it's not even close. Put together all the property damage, all the people who've been hurt, all of it. Not even close to the 200,000 people dead as a result of COVID. That's what's hurting everybody, and I'm going to fix that. And I'm going to take that seriously, unlike this guy. Am I pounding the gavel? I'm close to pounding the gavel, bro. I'm close. I'm telling you, this is not 2016 right now. It is not. Biden is way more up on Trump than Hillary was. And these are, these are good lines of attack. And Trump is kind of lost with his messaging. So I got it at 80% right now that Biden wins. It, it's almost a layup. Anything can happen. Things can change. I'll be the first one to tell you if I see a dynamic that shifts the race a little bit. But I think Trump really needed decisive debate wins. This was not that. Okay. Here we go. Biggest moment of the night in the first debate between Trump and Biden. This is what everybody's talking about. And I think it's fair. I think for good reason people are talking about this. Trump was asked by Chris Wallace to denounce white supremacists and right-wing extremists. And here's his response. You have repeatedly criticized the the vice president for not specifically calling out Antifa and other left-wing extremist groups. But are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha 
and as we've seen in Portland. Sure, Are you I'm prepared to, to do specifically that. do it? I would, have say, I would say almost everything I see is from the left wing, not from the right wing. So what are you, what are you, you, look, what are you saying? I'm, I'm willing to do anything. I want to see well, peace. Then do it, sir. Say I'm, it. Do it. Say it. Do you want to call him? What do you want to call him? Give me a name. Give me a white name. Supremacists and right white supremacists and right boys. Stand back and stand by, but I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left, because this is not a right-wing problem. This is FBI a left-wing problem. Antifa's an idea, not an organization. Oh, you got it. Not yeah. malicious. That's well, his an idea. FBI, his okay. FBI director said. Well, Damn. Okay, so... We'll get to the elephant in the room in a second, but to Biden's point, he's actually correct. Our own intelligence agencies say that Antifa as such is not a centralized organization with a traditional hierarchy. It's just left-wingers who go out in the streets, and there is no, there's no leadership. There's no marching orders. There's no, as a lot of people on the right like to believe, like funding from George Soros or whatever. That's not a thing. It's just left-wingers who go out on the streets, and they're not taking orders from anybody. Now, does that mean that Antifa doesn't exist? No, of course not. Of course they exist. Duh. But it does mean that there is no traditional organization. And in order to really craft the narrative of them being such a terrible boogeyman, they feel like that's an important component. They feel like there has to be an organization, and so they pretend like there's an organization. Uh, and like they want to categorize them as a terror group, you know. But it's like, there's really no group. Can you do that? No. So Biden's actually correct on that. Um, I, know, I know right-wingers think that's sort of like a distinction without a difference type point. I don't know. I think it's relevant. I think it's definitely relevant. Um, but let's, let's get to the main point here. Trump is asked condemn, to condemn white supremacists and militia groups. And he starts out by saying, sure, I'm willing to do that. Then he says, but I would say almost everything is from the left. Really. Almost everything is from the left. Listen, the data on this is overwhelming. And, you know, it's not like the intelligence agencies are fans of the left. In fact, they view part of their job as, like, making sure those people don't get power. But the data is there are way more right-wing terror attacks than left-wing terror attacks. That's not an opinion. That's a fact. Okay. Now he could say, oh, well, I mean, like, very recently. Really, you don't see issues on the right as well? You don't see these people showing up with weapons ready to pour fuel on the fire? You didn't see what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse? See, that's the thing. It never counts to them when it's somebody on the right. It never counts. Even if somebody ends up dead, it doesn't count. Because they define everything. It was always self-defense for them. So that's why Trump says... I would, everything I see is on the left. That's also because you watch One America News Network and Fox News. So you don't, you're unaware of anything that would contradict your narrative. Correct? So he goes from saying, sure, I'll condemn white supremacists and militia groups too. But to be honest, I would say almost everything is on the left. And then he says, name a group and I'll denounce them. And they bring up Proud Boys. And he says, Proud Boys, stand back and stand by but somebody's got to do something about Antifa. See, I would argue the next line is almost worse than the stand back and stand by. 
Because there would have been a case of like, yeah, he said that, but he didn't mean it in the way people are interpreting it. Like, stand by as in like, what? What do you mean stand by? He's going to give you orders and you're going to unleash if things don't go his way? Like, what do you mean stand by? Could have argued, yeah, I tripped over my words. I really meant stand down, but I said stand by. There were, there were ways to wiggle out of it. There was plausible deniability until the next line where he said, but somebody's got to do something about Antifa. That is a green light to use violence against the left. That is a green light to use violence against the left. Proud boys, stand back and stand by, but somebody's got to do something about Antifa. This point's been made a million times. You could argue it's obvious at this late date, but that is not something any other president would have said ever. Even ones I hate. I think overall, George W. Bush was actually a worse president than Donald Trump because the body count is way higher under Bush than it is under Trump. But on this particular issue, there is no way George W. Bush or anybody would have been like, stand back and stand by. Somebody's got to do something about Antifa. This is like textbook definition of pouring fuel on the fire and not bringing about peace and stability and law and order that he pretends to love so dearly. And this is why Biden is beating him on his own issue of law and order that he's putting front and center. is because everybody, even Republicans, go, yeah, clearly you're pouring fuel on the fire. Clearly you're not trying to bring people together. Clearly you don't want cooler heads to prevail. Clearly you're taking a side, and you'll defend that side no matter what, even if people end up dead. Hey, they were probably asking for it, weren't they? They were on the left. They were dressed in black. Clearly they were asking for it. I mean, again, this is the guy who gassed peaceful protesters to do a photo op with a Bible in front of the White House. That guy's concerned about law and order and justice and going about things the proper way? No, he's on a side. The side is the right. Stand back and stand by. Somebody's got to do something about Antifa. And in case you thought, hey, it's up in the air, maybe this isn't as bad as people are saying, Proud Boys interpreted it exactly as you think they interpreted it. They viewed that as like a green light, a wink and a nod. Yes, sir. Stand back and stay, stand by. Say the word. So listen, I mean, this is, this is the fear, man. Let's say we get the red mirage scenario on election day, where it looks like Trump did well on election day, but by the time all the votes are counted a week later, Biden wins. So it goes from Trump thinking he won to Biden winning. He's already said he's going to downplay the legitimacy of the election. He's already doing it nonstop. And now he's telling the Proud Boys and right-wing groups, stand back and stand by, and somebody's got to do something about Antifa. We are not in a good place right now. We are not in a good place at all. It's going to get ugly. Honestly, no matter what happens, it's going to get ugly. It's already ugly. Because... When you let people know, like, I'm on your side no matter what, yeah, they're going to be quicker to violence. Whether it's the 100 multi-car caravan that showed up in Portland, fight back against the left, just pour fuel to the fire. Whether it's the Proud Boys, whether it's some other right-wing militia, some other white supremacist group, whoever it may be. The wink and the nod has never been more obvious. 
it's really not good, man. Anybody else. And, and I've, I've talked to people who are not lefties in the wake of this, and they were like, he couldn't do it. He couldn't just be like, of course, condemned. He had to, condemned, but I would say almost everything is from the left, and okay, Proud Boys, stand back and stand by, but somebody's got to do something about Antifa. He knows what he's doing here. He does. He knows what he's doing. In the same way that, you know, we learned recently the talk with Bob Woodward, remember that? So we talked to Bob Woodward and was telling him, like, yeah, this thing is really bad. It's way more deadly than the flu. And I'm going to downplay it because I don't want to panic people. He was saying that behind the scenes. And then in public, he was saying, this thing is just like the flu. So he's lying and he knows he's lying. I feel like this is an instance where he's sort of stoking his people to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. If need be, we're going to try to like, do an authoritarian takeover. And he knows that's what he's doing. He knows exactly what he's doing here. So, honestly, this does make me think, though, that, again, it helps Biden politically. Because this is such chaos, man. People don't want this. People don't want this. And a lot of normie Republicans don't want to view themselves as in league with extremists. And Trump is kind of like almost letting the extremists know, like, yeah, I'm kind of with you. And I don't think a lot of normie Republicans like that. He'll have his 35% no matter what guaranteed, of course. But, like, people who are racist, for example, don't want to view themselves as racist. And if you get rid of all, like, the, the, the veneer and the facade of, of being better, that turns a lot of people off. And I think that helps your opponent. And I think that's what happened here. I do. Because I think plenty of people, plenty of people who are Republicans, having been asked this question, be like, of course, I condemn it. Next question. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. It's bad. I don't want to overstate it, but it's very bad. Okay. All right, I also want to go to the election fraud point. All right. Everybody's talking about the, uh, oh, hold on, let me change the, change the graphic. Okay. Everybody's talking about Trump's comment where he says to the Proud Boys, stand back and stand by. Somebody's got to do something about Antifa. That's really getting all the coverage in mainstream media and people talking about it nonstop, and that's important. There's another part that happened right after that which I think is equally important, which is they talked about Chris Wallace. I was like, will you accept the results of the election, basically? And Biden was like, of course. No matter what happens, of course. If he wins, he wins. If I win, I win. Your vote matters. Everybody get out there and vote. That was Biden's answer summed up. Trump, it was endless. Like, the entire time, he was like, 
it's a fraud, it's a fraud, it's a fraud, it's fake, it's not real, they're cheating, they're cheating out in the open, they're doing it right now, the election's being stolen, like, it, there was no hedging, no nothing, it was just like, all in on fraud, 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 fraud. Now, that's him saying, listen, if I lose, I'm not accepting the election. That's what he's saying. I mean, that's not, it's not up in the air. He's letting you know. That's what he's going to do. Um, but here's one of the parts that stuck out to me, because this says everything about Trump and about where he's at. As far as the ballots are concerned, it's a disaster. A solicited ballot, okay, solicited is okay. You're soliciting. You're asking. They send it back. You send it back. I did that. If you have an unsolicited, they're sending millions of ballots all over the country. There's fraud. They found them in creeks. They found some with the name Trump. Just happened to have the name Trump just the other day in a waste paper basket. They're being sent all over the place. They sent two in a Democrat area. They sent out 1,000 ballots. Everybody got two ballots. This is going to be a fraud like you've never seen. The other thing, it's nice on November 3rd, you're watching and you see who won the election. And I think we're going to do well because people are really happy with the job we've done. But you know what? We won't know. We might not know for months. The election's a fraud. The election's a fraud. It's not real. It's illegitimate. It's a fraud. And I think we're going to do very well because people love the job we're doing. That makes no sense. It's a fraud, it's a fraud, it's a fraud. And I think we're going to do well because people love the job we're doing. You can't say it's a fraud, it's illegitimate, and then like in the next breath, we're going to do well, like I'm going to win, and it is legitimate. It's illegitimate, but it's legitimate. Guys, it's, I know this is like explaining the most obvious thing in the world but sometimes that's my job. And this is him making clear, like, yeah, if I lose, I'll say it's illegitimate. If he wins, if, if Trump wins, is he going to be like, listen, man, I know I won, but let's be honest, there's a lot of fraud, a lot of sketchy things going on out there. I don't know if I can accept the results of the election. Of course not. Of course not. If he wins, he will immediately drop every single thing he said on this. That's what happened in 2016. He was already setting the table. Like, oh, it's fake. It's not real. Look at everything that's going on. And, and then when he won, it was, Shh. And there is like a supreme irony of here's a guy who lost the popular vote by millions, by millions, won the Electoral College, and then he's whining about how unfair and fraudulent the elections are. Yeah, was it unfair when you lost by millions and still got the White House? You can definitely argue yes on that one now, can't you? So it's just there's a supreme irony in, like, he's the beneficiary of how terrible the system is, but then he's complaining about the system. But really the only reason he's complaining is because he wants to set the table to reject the results if Biden wins. Or if Biden wins in, like, a landslide, he could try to save face, I guess, you know? Like, he might do one of those things and try to, well, you know... No way I would have lost by this much fraud, all the fraud, and it's all illegitimate, it's all not good. And by the way, the stories he's bringing up, who knows what his source is? Because Donald Trump is the kind of guy to see a blurry Facebook meme from somebody named MagaChick69 and think, like, that's factual. Everything I don't like is fake news, but if I see a meme on Facebook that's blurry that says something about votes, yeah, that's obviously accurate. 
he's a Facebook grandpa, and he's a Fox News grandpa, and it's just, and he's the president, most powerful person on earth, and this is what he does. This is what he does. Again, I, I don't want to belabor the point, although I already have, but yeah, this is not something any other president would ever do. The way you answer that question is, of course, of course I'll abide by the results, unless you don't want to abide by the results if you lose. And that's what it is. So you can only hope that the machinery that's already there kicks into action and like, sure, he might be kicking and screaming, but he's kicking and screaming as he's being dragged out. And then you have to worry about the, re the reaction from his people, his people, because you don't know how many Kyle Rittenhouses there are out there. And that's a scary thought. Okay. All right, I want to do one more for you. So with the debate that happened, the first debate between Trump and Biden, um, the biggest takeaway is actually the saddest takeaway, which is the left lost. I mean, the American people lost, but the left lost. And that's actually like I'm repeating myself when I say the American people and the left because of the numbers and because of what the actual centrist position in the country is. Not the centrist position in D.C., but the centrist position among average Joes and Janes. So let me show you this tweet here. This is from Ryan Knight, proud socialist. He says, reminder, leftist policy positions are super popular with everyone except the corporate donors who control our politicians. The left really is the center. Now look at these numbers. These are from a variety of polls over the past four or five years. Um, and, you know, you could look at any poll and you're going to get in this ballpark with these issues. But 62% want tuition-free public college. 70% want Medicare for all now. That's peaking. 76% want the wealthy to pay their fair share in taxes. 81% want a Green New Deal. 90% want universal child care. So in the debate, what you had is Trump say to Biden, yeah, you want to do socialized medicine. That's what you want to do. You want to do Medicare for all. Isn't that what you want to do? Biden's like, no, I don't want to do that at all. I don't know what you're talking about. No, I'm against that. So again, the Overton window, which is the spectrum of, of thoughts that are allowed, is way off to the right in Washington, D.C., way off to the right among the elites and the owner class. And that was reflected in this debate where it was like, all right, for an hour and a half, let's see who hates the left more. Please proceed. And that's what the debate was. But listen, I'm here to tell you, that's a mirage. That's a mirage, because really, our ideas and our policies are winning. They're winning. The problem is, we have flawed messengers who are not bringing this home. We've had our fair share of wins. We can all be happy about those. You know, Jamal Bowman's a great example. He just won. We have, you know, the squad there now. But we need to stop relying on moral victories in other ways because we don't win as many of the races as we should. Now, we are up against all of the corporate money in the world and all the billionaire money in the world, and we are up against a hostile media so it is difficult, and it is going to take time, but we need to get 
super serious about winning. Because for us, winning means on these policy issues. So it's almost like by any means necessary short of violence. So no violence, but outside of violence, by any means necessary. Be as Machiavellian as humanly possible, as clever as humanly possible, because the left needs to start winning because, honestly, it's a tragedy that the American people are already with us on the issues, but our people don't win every single race that they're in. So moving forward, we have to find a way to bridge that gap, and we have to be serious about it. And, you know, in my opinion, I think one of the most important things is we've got to stop preaching to the choir. We have to stop being comfortable as a, a niche subgroup. Like, we don't, we, should, we don't want to be on the fringes of society anymore. Unfortunately, a lot of people on the left do want to be on the fringes. You shouldn't want to be. You should want to be the dominant strain of thought and the dominant philosophy because then we'd actually win on these issues and have our politicians in there and get the W's. So I think first and foremost, man, we have to stop doing the thing where it's like if you've ever had a bad opinion said a bad thing, believed something else, like we don't even want you. There's this tweet that went viral of this, you know, lefty woman who was like, I see white male leftists are saying it's okay that you used to be a fascist. Well, I'm here to say, no, it's not, sweetie, something along those lines. And it's like, so you don't want to convert as many people as possible to our ideology? Well, then you're saying, like, I'm happy to keep losing, because, yes, you're going to want to convert everybody. You're going to want to convert as many people as humanly possible because that's how you win. So you should welcome that with open arms. You should incentivize that. You should let people know, like, no, I don't care about what you said in the past, what you did in the past, any of that stuff. All we care about is fixing the country now. All we care about is getting people free college and health care and creating millions of jobs with a Green New Deal and raising taxes on the wealthy. Like, that has to be our position. It has to or else we'll never win. So we need to do that, and we need to lean into these issues where we're loved. Because the left has this weird thing that we love to do where we lean into areas where we're not polling high. It's like running, running a campaign on, like, reparations or something, which polls under 50%, way under 50%. And it's like, oh, I can't believe I lost. You were running on something that has, like, a 20-something percent approval rating. What did you expect? Now, listen, am I saying that you don't address the issues where we still have work to do in terms of driving up the popularity? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, I argue, as you guys have heard me say endlessly, we never give an inch on actual policy that we believe in. But do we give an inch? Do we give a foot? Do we give a mile on strategy? Hell yeah, I'll put whatever foot forward you want for us to win. Of course, that's called being intelligent. That's what that is. Let me run on something that people hate. It's like, you know, when you see somebody bring up the word intersectionality as they're running, it's like you're, not, you're just virtue signaling to people who already agree with you. You're not actually trying to win. And so when I look at these numbers, I'm reminded that we are right there. It's just a matter of cleaning up our strategy and recommitting ourselves to the cause. We already know, we've already been up against the corrupting corporate money. We've been up against it from day one, and we've won a few times. So we know it's possible to win. So now it's like, okay, we already got our foot in the door. We already won some races. 
We already know what we're up against, the hostile media and corporate money. We can take them on, and we can, and if we do it properly, we can win all across the country. We can. I would argue we should take the media head on, lean into your disagreements with the media, throw your weight around a little bit, don't be afraid to puff your chest out, and I would argue back away from the issues where we, the left isn't popular and lean into the issues where we are popular, hammer that home repeatedly, and then, yes, eventually we're going to win. But listen, let's not kid ourselves. Right now, this is a low for the left because the entire debate that we just saw was Trump and Biden running as far away from the left as humanly possible. That's what it is. And so what I'm asking people to do is ha- do some introspection to figure out, hey, why is it that they're both running away from the left at 1,000 miles an hour, and they feel like they can do that without any consequences electorally? They feel like that's the right thing to do. Yes, that's partly because the Overton window is way off to the right, but that's also because in some people's minds, their perception of the left is crazy people. I'm here to try to change that notion in people's minds from left equals crazy people to left equals the center. Left equals the moderates equals the mainstream. But we're never going to be viewed like that if we don't dedicate ourselves to this strategy that I'm laying out. You will perpetually be viewed as the crazy people who everybody agrees you should run away from. Unless we really adopt this, adopt the label of true moderate, true centrist, representative of the mainstream, serious about helping people. That's what it's got to be. And again, final point, guys, we're right there. We are right there. When you see how we're popular on every single issue and we're not dominating the country, Time for introspection, and all we need to do is adjust the strategy and the philosophy, and then we could win. But we need that organization. We need everybody to agree on this, and we need a full court press, and that's the only way we're going to win. So the good news is people already agree with us. The bad news is they don't really know that they agree with us. Your job is to connect those dots. Okay. We are done, baby. I love you guys. I hope you enjoyed the debate breakdown. Some of these will go up today because I can't help myself, but they will continue to be released over the next few days. Everybody stay safe out there, and don't be too depressed, even though I know the debate was depressing. (laughs) Much love, y'all. I'm out.